this morning, uh, we continue our Christmas series that was just entitled, My Story. And really the heart of this entire uh, series was just simply kind of summed up in this phrase here, knowing my story will redefine my story. Uh, knowing my story, capital M, will redefine my story. And the heart behind that was, if we knew God and we knew who God was and what God has done and what God is like, knowing who his, he is, knowing his story will completely redefine my life, uh, will redefine how I live and how I operate and how I think. And so that's been the heart of this is really seeking to understand my story, meaning this is God telling us this is my story. Now, as we've talked about over the past few weeks, Life uh, is often best understood through the lens or through the context of a story. Stories have a way of helping us to make sense of things. I shared this uh, quote a few weeks ago from Mike Cosper's uh, book. Uh, we tell stories to know who we are, to understand ourselves and our place in the world. Stories help give us a sense of place, a way to understand our lives, our relationships, our past, and our future is all tied up in a story. Uh, so we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but you are telling a story with the life you're living. And so the question obviously became, well, what kind of story am I actually telling? Uh, and I think many of us know this, but I think we often forget, uh, is that our story is not isolated, meaning it's not just us. It's not just our little story. There's something in us that tells us we're part of something bigger, that there is something much bigger than my story that's happening around us, and it's what we've been talking about. This is God's story. It's uh, uh, his story. And uh, John Elridge, in his book, Epic, uh, said this, Christianity, in its true form, in its true form, tells us that there is an author, and he is good and beautiful and true, for he is the source of all these things. It tells us that he has set our heart's longings within us, and it warns us that the truth is always in danger of being twisted and corrupted and stolen from us because there's a villain in the story who hates our hearts and wants to destroy us. And it calls us up into a story that is truer and deeper than any other and assures us that there, in the story we've been called up into, it assures us that there we will find the meaning of our lives. So... If we want to understand our story, who we are, uh, it's going to be found in understanding the story of God. Um, now, if our lives are part of a much bigger story that's being told, then really the one question that I wanted to uh, ask this morning and, and hopefully answer this morning is this question. What is your role in that story? What is the role that you have to play in what's known as the story of God, his story. What is your role? Uh, John Elridge, again, in his book, Epic, just simply said, you have a crucial role to play. You have a crucial role to play. And if that's true, and I do believe it to be true, then what is the crucial role that you have to play? Uh, if we've been invited up into a story, meaning the story of God, what is the role that God is inviting you to play in his story. 
Now, I don't think this is like the first time you've ever wrestled with this question of what is the role of my life? Like, what is it that God has for me or what is it that God wants for me? But what I often think happens is that we tend to believe that God invites only some of us to play a role while others are just asked to sit on the bench and watch. Uh, it's easy to say, well, Michael, I, I get that there, there are roles to play, but God really only invites a few people to play certain roles at certain times in certain places. And I'm pretty confident my role is non-existent. It's just to sit on the bench, and it's to cheer, and it's to spectate, and it's to watch. And I just, that's so far from, from true. Uh, in his book, uh, Perry Noble wrote called um, Unleash, he said, if God, the creator of the universe, created us on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, then why in the world would we be willing to settle for anything less? If it's true that God created you, and he created you with great purpose, and he created you for purpose, then why would I live my story? Why would I live my life settling for anything less than what God has created for me to live, what God has invited me to live. Now, the question for this morning is, what is uh, your role in his story? Um, I think one of, uh, you're going to make tons of decisions in life. Uh, you'll make a lot of decisions in life. But I think the toughest decision that you'll ever make is the decision of how you answer this question of, whose life will I live? Whose life will I live? How you answer that one question will determine everything else in your life. How or whose life will I live? Will I chase, pursue, and give all of myself to all I want to do with the life I've been given? Or will I look to the one, meaning God, who created me with a purpose and live the life that he actually created me to live? Whose life am I going to live? I only get one life, so whose life am I actually going to live? Now, I've never met anyone in my life who said, Michael, in all honesty, I just want to coast. Like, I don't want any meaning. I don't want any joy. I don't want any satisfaction. I don't want any purpose. I just, I just want to flatline. I just, I just want to kind of coast. I've never met someone. Rather, quite the opposite, I've met many men and women who say, I'm hungry for more. I want a deeper sense of joy and satisfaction and contentment. Uh, I want to feel like fulfillment, like my life is actually somewhat meaningful or somehow making a difference in the lives of those around me. Those are the people that I've met. I've never met someone who just says, I don't want any joy, satisfaction, or purpose. Now, if the question is, whose life will I live? Well, how will you go about finding that? Oswald Chambers said it well, joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of the specific purpose for which I was created, not from successfully doing something of my own choosing. I love how he just sums it up. It comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of the specific purpose for which I was created. Meaning if you really want that joy and meaning and contentment and purpose, well, it's not gonna come from pursuing and living your life how you wanna live your life. It's actually gonna come from living the life that God has created you to live and entering into the role that he has for you. Now, this morning, we're going to look at one story. We're going to look at one man uh, and his battle with this, his struggle with this, his tension with this. Uh, but before I, I walk through that, that one man's story, I wanted to share a few truths with you related 
to God and who God is and what God is like. Because if the decision that we need to make today is whose life am I going to live, mine or his, here are some things that I would want you to know about him and what he is like. And the first thing I would tell you is a truth is this. God's committed to accomplishing his plan in your life. God's committed to that. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And he is committed to accomplishing that plan in your life. Even before you even knew who God was, he knew you. Even before you admitted there was a God who had a plan for you, he was already working out his plan in your life. Psalm 138. I encourage you to write this this one verse down. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. The psalmist just says, God is committed to working out his plan, not yours, but his plan in your life. Why? Well, because he loves you. He is faithful to that. God wants you to experience more of him in your story, and so he is committed to accomplishing his plan in your life. You know, you know what this does for us? Freeze me. I don't have to be filled with worry and stress and anxiety and fear of like, what's next, and how's this going to work out, and how's this going to play out? Why? Well, because I know God's going to work out his plan in my life, and it might not always be easy, and there might be obviously lots of twists and turns and hurdles and bumps, but... I am convinced that God's going to work out his plan for me, and he's going to work out his plan for you, which means I can rest easy and say, God, I want what you have. The life I want is not what I want. I want want to live to experience the life that you have for me. The second truth I'd give you is this. God will often give you more than you can handle so that you can see that he can handle everything or anything. Now, I know for some of us, they're like, wait, 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 that's not true. God loves us too much to give us two things that would be too difficult for us or things that would be too hard for us. I think a massive misconception many have is that God will never give us what we cannot handle. And that's just not true. (laughs) Not even close. I can tell you that from personal experience, but I can also tell you from one who's sat in the scripture and, and seen men and women in the story of God who would tell you very differently. I think we think that, well, God's too loving. He would never give me something I can't handle. Well, I think God is absolutely so loving that he will give us things that we can't handle so that we can see he can handle anything. Uh, The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about what he is experiencing right now. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Do you think you could look at Paul and say, well, Paul, come on, you're being a bit dramatic. God would never give you something that you couldn't handle. I think from Paul's experience, he's saying, this was hard. This was heavy. We thought we were done for. We thought we were going to die. But as a result, we stopped trying, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. He did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. 
See, what God is concerned with is not you having a growing confidence in yourself and what you can do or want to do. What God is committed to is you having more and more and more stories of what he can do. And so if it means putting us in a hard season, a hard situation, he does that so that we will learn not to rely and depend upon ourselves for everything, but that we can actually depend on him for anything at any time. So that's a, maybe a hard truth, but again, a free and truth. He will often give you more than you can handle so that, he, uh, so that you can see he can handle anything. Uh, a third truth uh, that I would give you is this. God wants you to see him uncaged. And I know that sounds like, what does that mean? But what I know about God and what I've learned about God is that God wants me to see him uncaged. Now think about a zoo. When you go to the zoo uh, and you're excited to see animals and such, when you walk into a zoo, uh, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I don't think you like run to the zoo and you're like, man, I cannot wait to see the butterfly exhibit. And then I just, I'm so fired up to see the grasshoppers. And then after that, I want to go see, no, when you go to the zoo, what do you want to see? You want to see a lion. You want to see tigers. You want to see a bear. And not just like kind of sleeping. You want to see a lion or a tiger and a bear in like its full awesomeness, its full power. I've been to the zoo so many times with my kids and uh, we go to those exhibits and those are the first things that they want to see. But when they get to them, what happens? There's always someone pounding on the window, wake up, wake up. And we, we want to see these animals in their absolute powerful and magnificent. And my point is, we want to see them be powerful as long as we are protected from them. Now, imagine if you saw a lion or tiger or bear on the street. How many of you would walk up to that animal and be like, show me your power. I want to see what you got. I think most of us would start praying really, really, really quickly, man, I hope you're full, and I hope you're tired that you will actually lay down like I've seen you in the zoo. On Sunday, we want to see God. We want to see God be powerful. We want to see God like do things that are awe-inspiring, that we leave here and be like, man, that was awesome. I've never met someone who's, who's come to church and was like, Michael, do whatever you can to bore me today. Like, I just, I don't, I don't want to be inspired at all. I've never had someone say, gosh, I hope the music is blah today, and I hope it's lame. I think when we come to church on Sunday, there's something in each of us, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that says, I, I want to see God. I want to hear from him. I want to connect with him, and I want to see if God is God, I want to see God be God. And this is what I think God is saying to us. The same God we want to be inspired by and moved by on Sundays is often the same God we try to avoid during the week because we just don't want him to interrupt us. And God's saying, I want you to see me uncaged, not just for an hour and a half on any given Sunday, but in your life. God wants us to see his power, his awesome, his majesty, his holiness. God wants us, wants us to catch glimpses of him all the time, not just some of the time. Uh, a life verse for me for a long time uh, has been Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Now to him, being God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. You see, 
God wants you to see him do more than you could ever imagine up on your own. He wants you to see that. He wants you to live in light of that. He wants you to experience every day immeasurably more. Now, those are just three things. That's not the exhaustive list of who God is like and, or what God has done. But if you're making a decision of whose life will I live, and I'm encouraging you to say, I don't want to live my life. I want to live his life. I want you to know these things about him and who he is and what he's like. Now, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1. We'll also put it on the screen. But I wanted to introduce you to a man this morning who wrestled with this. He wrestled with what is my role in the story of God. And he wrestled with, gosh, am I going to live my life or am I going to live the life that I now know God is calling me and inviting me to live? I think when we kind of think about our role, we often think about my skills and my talents and my abilities and whatever those happen to be is most likely going to dictate whatever my role is going to be. And yeah, that's part of it, but what I don't want you to miss is you will miss your role completely and understand that and live in light of that if you haven't decided yet whose life you're going to live. And the story we look at this morning is of a man named Joseph. This is his story in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Joseph, uh, earthly father of Jesus, uh, husband to Mary. This is how, I'm starting in verse 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, he was a good man. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly, and so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the through his prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, uh, it says this, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Verse 24, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until uh, her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, there's lots of things we could talk about in this story. It's a phenomenal story. It's a, a phenomenal retelling of what happened uh, when Jesus came to earth and when Jesus was born. But what I want to share with you this morning is just a few things. Joseph had to really wrestle with whose life am I going to live? Am I going to live my life or am I going to live the life that God is inviting me to? Because this is our tension. If you're going to understand your role, it begins with making the decision of whose life are you going to live? And here are some things that we can learn from Joseph's example. Now, I want to just, men, okay, women, listen, but men, this is a question for you. Imagine if that's you. Imagine if you're in Joseph's shoes. Imagine the woman that you love, the one that you are pledged to be married to, comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. And you are, you know, it's not yours. You know that because you know. Imagine 
the pain that you would feel. This is not just some random person. This is the girl that you love. Imagine the pain that is crept into your heart and mind because of the betrayal. You're pregnant? How, how could you do that? We had a life together. We were going somewhere together. Why, how could you possibly do that? And fresh on the heels of feeling that pain of being betrayed, you actually get the courage to ask, well, whose is it? And you can't even hear much of an answer except something to do with God and the Holy Spirit and an angel. And then you hear Mary tell you, and this child is going to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So now you're not only dealing with the pain of being just absolutely betrayed, now you're going to lie to me about this? You're going to make up some crazy story about God and an angel and this being actually the Son of God? So men, if this is you, how are you feeling right now? I know how I'd be, I'd be ticked. I would be so filled with anger. Not only towards Mary, but you know who I'd be angry at? I'd be angry at God. How could you possibly allow something as horrific and terrible as this? The woman I love gets pregnant and then she makes up this crazy story and tries to pass it off as truth. I would be absolutely angry with her, and I would be angry with God, and I would be filled with a lot of hurt and pain and disappointment. And here's the first thing I, I learned about God. God's role for you often comes masked in hard things. God's role for you and understanding what God has for you often comes masked in hard things. In other words, if you want to best understand God's role for you, what I'm telling you is pay attention to pain and hurt and disappointment that God allows to come your way because God often uses that pain in our lives to help us see the role that he's inviting us to play. Now, I know maybe a lot of us would say, well, that's a terrible plan. <laughs> Why not just tell me? Why not just simply say, hey, this is the plan I have for you? Well, if you think about how God often uses pain in our life, it actually makes a lot of sense. Because when life is comfortable and cozy and convenient, we tend to think that we're playing our role well as indicated by the blessed life I'm living. Well, gosh, look at everything that's happening in my life and everything is going great. Everything is going perfect and I'm happy, I'm content, I'm comfortable. Things are, by and large, pretty convenient. And we tend to think in our heart or translate that life to be like, well, well, clearly I'm playing the role that God wants me to be playing because look at all the things that God is blessing me with. And I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us with good, with good things, but I am saying he uses pain to wake us up. He uses pain to help us see. He uses hurt and disappointment and sadness and frustration to see the role that he's actually inviting us to play. And C.S. Lewis, a great book called The Problem of Pain, uh, he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I've gone through hard things. I'm thankful I've gone through painful things because that is God's way of saying to me, 
Michael, wake up. I have something more for you than what you are currently doing. It's going to be your way and your life, or you're going to enter into the life that I have for you. And so God will use pain and hurt and disappointment and sadness and frustration to awaken us to the role that he has for us. Now, my invitation or challenge would be this. When pain and disappointment and hurt and frustration comes, and it will, please see that as God's loving interruption in your life. You don't think Joseph was feeling interrupted? Man, I had a plan. I had a girl. She had a ring. We're going to build a life together. You don't think Joseph was feeling interrupted, but God used his pain to reveal a role that he had for Joseph to play. So when pain comes, rather than getting all angry and shaking your fist at God and say, how could you possibly allow this to happen? Or when pain comes, rather than saying, you know, how could you allow this to happen? Or potentially just saying, it is what it is. It's a busted world and pain happens. And just try to ignore it or avoid it or just kind of just go through it with this nonchalant attitude of, it is what it is. I'm inviting you and encouraging you to say, God, this hurts. This is hard. I'm confused. So I'm going to see this as you trying to say something to me about you and maybe the role that you have for me to play moving forward. Joseph learned through pain, through hurt, through disappointment, the role that God had for him. And I'm thankful that God will do that for us as well. A second thing I learned through the story of Joseph about God is this. God's role for you involves you letting go of you. God's role for you involves you letting go of you. I know that's a, maybe a grammatically incorrect way of saying that, but God is committed to helping you get over you. <laughs> and he'll do whatever it takes to help you get to that place where you finally would declare, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about my reputation. I'm not living my life for me. I'm living the life that he has invited me to live. Matthew 1, verse 19 says, Joseph, her fiancé, he was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, and so he decided to break the engagement quietly. When it says Joseph is a good man, it means that he was a righteous man, a man familiar with the laws and the ways of God. Joseph had a good reputation. The fact that Matthew points that out, you need to know this about, he had a good reputation. And in a culture that was shame-based, your reputation meant everything. So it's safe to conclude his reputation absolutely mattered to him. But now, what does he do? He's got a woman he's pledged to be married to who's pregnant who's talking crazy. If Joseph doesn't follow the, the law, the Torah, which calls for Mary and the one she committed adultery with to be stoned, well, then people are going to call into question his integrity. Dude, you said you were a godly man. You said you were righteous. You said you knew the law. You know what the law says, so are you going to do it? If Joseph decides to take Mary as his wife, well, his reputation is going to take a huge hit for marrying a woman with such questionable character. Imagine the snickering that, that's the guy who's with the girl who got pregnant, and she said it's God's son, that, that's, that's him. He would have to, to live with that. And then you have to imagine at some level, Joseph is just, his head is spinning, but then the thought comes, well, gosh, what if it's true? 
What if she's not crazy? What if this actually happened? What if God decided to enter into the story in a unique and a powerful and a miraculous way? And so we're looking at Joseph, who's got all of these choices that he needs to make. But what I see in Joseph and what I see in myself is how often are the choices that I make driven by what people are going to think of me? How often do you do things or how often do you not do things because of the fear of what other people might say of you or think of you? Do you ever meet someone who's like, I don't care what people think of me? Next time that happens to you, here's your response. Uh, You absolutely do care about what people think of you because if you didn't, you wouldn't have told me that you don't care about uh, what people think of you. The fact that you're even telling me that you don't think you don't care what people think about you tells me that what you really want me to think about you is that you are so strong and so secure that nothing that anyone can say about you or towards you would somehow hurt you. So how often are you and I making choices and decisions based on, well, what people are going to think, what people are going to say, what people have, have to feel? I think one of the biggest factors that keeps people from actually coming to God is not so much their inability to believe in God. I think what actually keeps so many people away from God is the fear of what people would think of them if they actually began a relationship with them. Oh, so you're now one of those people. You need a crutch. Life got too hard. Need to call on God. Yeah, I feel bad for you because I'm really strong and I got got everything in control. I think what keeps so many people away from God is not an inability to believe in God, but a fear of what people would actually think of them if they made the decision to follow him. Joseph, he had a reputation to protect, but he really loved Mary. And so what does he do? He decides, well, I'm just going to be really quiet about this. I'm not going to make a public spectacle. I'm not going to try to drag her name through the mud. I'm not going to embarrass her. I will just quietly walk away. Try to keep my name, my rep intact. And unfortunately, if he leaves Mary, though, she's going to be that girl who had a kid out of wedlock. But this is what I love about what, what God does for Joseph, what ultimately he does for us. God was less concerned about Joseph's reputation, and he wanted Joseph to understand his role in God's story had little to do with what others would think of him, of being a good man, and more to do with him being used by God to accomplish his plan. In that moment where he had decided, this is where God shows up in verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph, you're scared. I can see that you're scared, and I can understand why you're scared. Because if you go in this direction, people are probably going to laugh and ridicule and point. You're that guy. But Joseph, I am so much more concerned, less concerned about your reputation and what other people think of you, and I'm more concerned about you seeing me at work. Joseph, I am more committed to and more concerned about wanting you to have a story and a testimony of you got to see God. You got to see Jesus. That's what God wanted for Joseph. That's what God wants for us. But he had to get over himself. He had to get over himself. Before I share with you one last point, I would ask you that question. Have you let go of you yet? 
have you let go of you yet? Because if you keep hanging on to you, and obviously what you want, when you want to do it, if you keep hanging on to you of, gosh, what will people think of me if I do this or say this or go here, you'll miss the role that God has for you in, in his story. Joseph would have missed it. So have you let go of you? The third and final thing that I would share with you uh, this morning is this. Number three, God's role for you involves you trusting him. It always does. His role for you will always require you to say, I'm going to trust you. I, it might not make sense. I might not even understand how all of this works. But God's role for you will always involve you making the decision to say, at the end of the day, I'm just going to trust you. Now, I don't know what it was like for Joseph when he awoke from that dream. I can only imagine, did that just really happen? Did I just hear what I think I heard? Did I just see what I think I saw? Did I just get the direction that I think I'm supposed to go? God is, Joseph is headed left, and God says, Joseph, you can trust me with right. You can trust me with going this direction. And he's got to make a choice. Am I going to trust? God is saying to Joseph, I'm doing something bigger than you. What's happening is what was promised long ago would happen. What's happening is not disconnected from my story, Joseph. And now I'm inviting you to be part of that. But if you walk away from Mary, you'll miss seeing me. You'll miss seeing my son. And that's, that's the reality. God's inviting us to play a role in his story but it will involve you trusting him. And probably, the, in my mind, a, a powerful verse in this story, verse 24, when Joseph woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Here's my synopsis of that verse. He did what he was told. What God said, what God spoke, what God revealed, he said, okay, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And that's when Joseph began to experience and live in view of, in light of, the role that God had for him. But if he would have walked and said, I can't, it's too hard, people are going to laugh, people are going to think I'm nuts, he would have missed it. And my heart and my hope for all of us here today is that we wouldn't miss it. God has a role for you, but it will always, it always involve you trusting him. And I wanted to share with you that trust is not like this one-off decision, like where you could say, gosh, I want to trust God. Today, I'm going to make the decision to trust God. Do you know what? You're going to have to do it tomorrow, and you'll have to do it the next day, and you'll have to live every day saying to yourself, saying to the Lord, I trust you. Trusting God is not only seen in what we, in, in saying yes, but it is also seen in what we say no to. It's easy to say, yes, God, I will trust you. But then we say yes to a bunch of other things along the way. I wanted you to catch the last verse in the story, verse 25. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Would have been so easy for Joseph to say, all right, God, I'm not going to walk away from her. I'll trust you with this. But then over the next few months, be like, well, I got to figure this thing out. 
we'll start connecting, we'll start being intimate, so that when people ask, I'll be able to just tell them, hey, this is our child, he wasn't born out of wedlock. It would have been easy for Joseph to try to manage the story and manage his role in the story. But trust is not a one-off decision, it's a decision he made every day. I'm not gonna be with my wife like that until this child is born. Why? Well, because I trust the plan of God and God told me that his plan is that he would come and that this child, his child, will be born of a virgin. I'm not gonna try to manipulate an outcome so it looks more favorably for me. I will trust every day the plans and the promises of God. So maybe a picture of trusting God might sound something like this. He did and he did not. He did, he said yes. God, I won't go left, I'll go right because that's what you've called. And then he did not. He did not try to control and manipulate outcomes to somehow make it look better for him. He did not. My question, is there anywhere in your life where you've said, I've trusted in God, but you're still trying to manage the outcome of it? You're still trying to control the outcome of it. Your role will always require you and I to trust God every step of the way, not just one decision, but every step of the way you and I are called to trust God. Those are three things I learned from Joseph is God's role often comes masked in hard things. God's role involves you letting go of you and God's role for you involves you trusting him. Which life will you live? Will you live your life or will you live the life that God is inviting you to live? When you say yes to that, you begin to discover the role that God has invited you to play in his story. And your role is not based on some talent, ability, or gift mix that you have. Your role is often seen in your ability to say, I don't want to live my life. I want to live the life that God has invited me and called me to live. Life is a tale of two stories. One finite and frail, the other eternal and enduring. The tiny one, the story of us, is as brief as the blink of an eye. Yet somehow our infatuation with our own little story and our determination to make it as big as, po as we possibly can, it blinds us to the massive God story that surrounds us on every side. Two stories at work here. My story, small and frail, finite, and the story of God, massive, infinite, which will we choose? He goes on to say, we can choose to cling to a starring roles in the little bitty story of us, or we can exchange our fleeting moment in the spotlight for a supporting role in the eternally beautiful epic that is the story of God. God's invited you to play a role. God's invited you to play a role in his story, but it begins with, which life will you live? Will you live your life or will you begin to live and continue to live the life that he has for you?